Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toasted Tale podcast. My name is Jim Lillywhite Bewley, and today I want to look into a particular person of interest, someone that I find really interesting. Fans of the show previously know that I like to dive into the pot of history to find interesting stories, individuals, and threads that I can pull, ways that we can identify stories that may help us out in modern day, or may just be interesting to know, to say at parties, or could be something to draw inspiration and motivation from when we're going through difficult times ourselves. Now, I'm recording this on the 6th of the 5th, 2022, and there's a lot going on in the world, I'm not going to lie. There's wars going on in Europe, there's wars going on all over the world, really. Covid's still around, we have tension, which hasn't really been seen around the world for a long time. And so I think it's good, possibly, to go back to a a time previously and look at a lady, in this case, who took what the status quo was and fought with all her power that she contained in her life uh, to push back the envelope that she was facing and people like her facing. Uh, We're going back to around the time, probably near the end, of when slavery was legal in in America, especially the southern states, and then, of course, the Civil War, which took place to, um, to bring the two halves, the two sides in America back together, bring everyone back into the fold. And just to slightly touch on a point on this as well, there does seem to be a lot of pushback against looking at people's history. Now, I'm sure this happens in many countries, and I do believe that it's, you can have it either two ways really, or three ways, but we'll focus on the two. A country can do something pretty heinous in its past, uh, maybe something that at the time everyone supported, and then as times and opinions change, the country can be appalled by what happened and, and look back with shame. It's like a black mark on the history. Germany's really good with this. They really hold up uh, their hands to... The parts they played in the great, uh, in terms of size, world wars that took place over the last hundred or so years, focusing mainly on the Second World War because that had some really dark undertones within. I mean, of course, all war has dark undertones, but the Second in particular. And then, I guess in the middle ground, you have countries that kind of just... let it slide under the rug, you know? They kind of, uh, the dark past that happened to them, they uh, just don't really talk about much. It's like, oh, we just don't talk about that. That happened a long time ago. It was dealt with. We don't talk about it anymore. And I think every country has things they probably feel really uncomfortable about. But, you know, a lot of countries, and it might just be that the, the things that happened, no one's bringing it up, so why would they bring it up and put it in the spotlight? And then you also have... On the other side, uh, peoples or nations who deny the terrible acts that happened in their past, or push back, or rationalise it, or find reasons um, why it was okay at the time, or stuff like that, or why we shouldn't feel bad about it now. There are many examples of this. I know that um, Japan is often 
criticised, as they haven't uh, acknowledged or apologised or anything in regards to uh, the atrocities that their uh, armed forces found themselves doing in places like Nanking in China and all over their spheres of war as well. Another nation you could you could point a slight finger at is maybe the Turks or what was the Ottomans during the First World War when there is quite a lot of evidence that there was genocide taking place in Armenia but I know the Turkish are very, very um, hesitant to even admit that there was a genocide. They're one of the few countries still who don't accept that anything happened there at all. And then, to a greater or lesser extent, I will leave this up to you guys, you my dear viewers. You have places like certain states in the south of the United States of America, where they like to take a revisionist's flair, a bit of adding a bit of special sauce to the actual history books, so as not to make what their ancestors and, well, these people are like grandparents and great-grandparents, what they did seem as bad. Now, I don't know whether they truly believe some of the um, stories they tell about how they looked after slaves and what they were fighting for, the real reason for the Civil War. They often say that it was for states' rights. And what I like to throw back in my own mind, because I'm not often speaking with people from the southern states of America who are banging the drum. But what I think about is the state's rights to do what? What laws were the North imposing upon you? Can you give me free? Maybe not. But also, maybe I don't know. Maybe there's a whole load of reasons why um, the South wanted state's rights that wasn't to do with slavery or property ownership. Because you've got to remember that at the time, property ownership involved slaves, so, you know. But I do find it a bit peculiar when I open newspaper or I read the news. And of course, I'm getting it from a very UK-centric way, so I'm not there in the country. But I do find it strange when there are certain states that are actively trying to almost prevent children from learning about their history. They don't need to know about what happened, how we treated human beings only a few hundred years ago. There seems to be a great fear around certain people that they will be made to feel bad for perhaps the sins of their grandfathers. And they don't want their kids, and this is an argument I've heard, they don't want their kids feeling bad about their race. Now, that doesn't really... Uh, jive with me, that kind of reasoning. You don't have to feel bad about your skin colour when at the same time acknowledging that some people of a similar colour to you have done bad things. But hey, just something that has been in my mind. It's one of those, you only can have those like circular thoughts where you're like, oh man, you know, I don't know why people think they're this. Oh, I, I, you know, you can't really, can't really get it out, but thankfully I can... Let it out on this sort of uh, podcast uh, audio recording, you know. And I'd love to know your thoughts, you know. It's a, it's kind of a thing that's going on at the moment, isn't it? It's, um, it feels like it's a, a ever-ongoing thing. And in my opinion, it kind of should be ongoing until they meet some kind of equilibrium where 
everyone's happy as much as possible. And no one feels like their, hmm, how to say this? Like their ancestral injustices are being swept under the rug, or belittled, you know? And so why do I talk about this today? Well, today I want to talk about a lady who was in the middle of this time period. If you're looking at it as a historical map or a tapestry, she is right in the centre. Also, I have a slight motivational bias here. A few weeks ago, I did an episode on Jane Horwood, who was a royalist spy in England. And so, while I was doing that, I really got a buzz out of discovering this new and exciting person. And women have often been underrepresented, or at least underreported about in history. So when you get an insight into a woman's life, in a role that you would not expect them to be, like a spy, or, in the case of today's subject, a guerrilla soldier, a scout, and a nurse also, among other things to be fair. So, carrying on that theme of looking at really interesting historical figures, and figures who you wouldn't immediately expect them to be where they were, Today, we're going to look at Harriet Tubman. So, just to give a preface to Harriet's story. She was born around the years of 1820 and 1822. We're not entirely sure of the year specifically, but she was born in Dorchester County, Maryland, and was the daughter of Harriet Green and Benjamin Ross. Now, she her original name, sorry, was Araminta, but that would obviously change and she would take the name of her mother. She obviously had some fond memories of her. She had eight siblings, and she was born into servitude. It was at the age of five, where Tubman's owners rented her out to neighbours as a domestic servant. Just imagine, at the age that we usually send our children to primary school, being sent to a neighbour's house to do manual labour. No pay, of course, being a slave and all. But Harriet had a rebellious streak which would set her off right into life. This could obviously be dangerous, you know, you don't want your slave having ideas which go against how they should be working, fraternising, of course, with the idea of freedom. Early on, she intervened in an altercation between another slave and their master. He was beating a man who had tried to escape from his predicament. What does she get for her trouble? but a hard hit on the head, with something around two pounds in weight, could be like a candlestick or a book holder, leaving her with a lifetime of severe headaches and narcolepsy. Her first two and a bit decades on this planet were spent in slavery. Just imagine all of the important life events you have been through, up until around 22-24. It was at that point where... Her rebellious streak once again shone through, 
Slaves weren't legally allowed to marry. Tubman, however, kind of said stuff it to those rules and entered into a marital union with a man named John Tubman, a free black man, in 1844. She took his name, and it was at this point that she went from her old name, Araminta, to her mother's name, Harriet. Five years after entering this union with John, Harriet decided, with two of her brothers, to try and escape to the north. This was in 1849, still almost two decades before the Civil War would break out, which of course would be fought over, among other things, the legality of slavery in the United States. Now, running away from slavery is no easy thing to begin with, and also it's a big risk. Yes, you may escape to a more hospitable part of the country, primarily the North or Canada here, but if you were caught, either en route, or some bounty hunter identified you in the future whilst you were living your life free, and decided to return you back to your old master, then you were in for a really difficult time. Numerous escaped slaves, upon returning, were faced with harsh punishments, such as amputation of limbs, whippings, brandings, hobblings, and many other horrible acts. Additionally, and we'll go on to this in a little bit, but people who helped slaves as well were doing so illegally. It was an offence to do so in the South, and those who were found to be aiding and abetting slaves or ex-slaves would often be punished as well. One of the secret and important resources that slaves could use if they wanted to escape their predicament was called the Underground Railroad. And this was a network of black and white abolitionists who operated between the late 18th century and the end of the Civil War, and their main goal was to help fugitive slaves escape to freedom. As I said before, this group was made up of a wide variety of people. You had African Methodists, Baptists, Nor Methodists, Quakers, a wide variety who operated in the Underground Railroad. There was also one um, instance in 1786 of George Washington complaining that a Quaker tried to free one of his slaves. That's a little twist onto the uh, regal look of George Washington when you look into him as well, I find. Now, if previous to this podcast you have heard of Harriet Tubman, then you may have also heard a legend that she created the Underground Railroad. That's not true, but it's very likely that she benefited from the network of, you know, escape routes and safe houses during the year of 1849 when she made her escape with her brothers. She did not leave with her husband, however. He refused to join and within two years had remarried, but this is not where Harriet's story ends. She gets to safety? Good news, of course. You could absolutely give her a free pass to just live out the rest of her life, make a life for herself, maybe. But that's not the Harriet that we are talking about today, no. 
She returned to the South, willingly and several times, helping dozens and dozens of people escape, and became a key member of the railroad. She was so successful that it led slave owners to post a bounty, a reward for her capture or death, to the tune of $40,000. And if you, like I was before I looked it up, I'm wondering what $40,000 in 1850 looks like? Well, take a guess, have a number in your head, and then raise it completely because it's around one and a half million dollars today, which is just crazy. You get a better idea when numbers, hard cash is involved, about how much damage she was doing to the slaveholders' operations. She got a nickname by those who she helped, and this says a lot as well. She was known as the Moses of her people, and she was very well known for never being caught, and also never losing a passenger. She also participated in other anti-slavery efforts, often getting involved with her comrade John Brown in his final attempt to strike a hammer blow to the slavery system. Now, I don't want to divulge from the initial subject too much, but I feel like this deserves its own little spot, to be fair, and as Harriet did aid in this, I think it's good to shine a light on it. John Brown was a abolitionist, operating in around this time, and he was getting to a point in his life where he wanted to do a great and daring deed to give slaves, I guess, the opportunity for freedom. In essence, he wanted to initiate a slave revolt, especially in the slave-holding states in the southern states of America. And this would be by taking over the United States arsenal at a place called Harper's Ferry in Virginia. Now, whilst this operation eventually failed for John Brown, he did and was involved with the works of both Harriet Tubman and a man named Frederick Douglass, who is also a abolitionist and famous African-American social reformer of the time. When asked by John to take part in this operation of his, Harriet Tubman unfortunately could not, as she was ill at the time, and Frederick Douglass believed the plan suicidal, and so also declined as well. Of the 22 people in the raid, about 10 were killed, 7 were tried and executed, which included John Brown himself, and 5 escaped. It's interesting, when you look at this event, there's a whole lot of kind of big names that you can talk about as well. Uh, Colonel Robert E. Lee was in overall command of the operation to retake the arsenal from the raiders. Stonewall Jackson and Jeb Stewart were among the troops guarding the arrested Brown following the failure. And also, John Wilkes Booth and Walt Whitman were spectators at Brown's execution. Though the raid on Harper's Ferry was in the short term a failure, it can be seen as one of the last major events 
that spurned on the Civil War, it caused a massive stir around the United States. And everyone was talking about it for a while. It was one of those big things. And in the long run, it helped contribute firstly to Lincoln's election in 1860, and also Jefferson Davis citing, quote, the attack as grounds for Southerners to leave the Union, even if it rushes us into a sea of blood, end quote. It's interesting as well that in uh, Brown's final moments during his execution, his last message before dying seemed to echo these thoughts that were ruminating around the nation, saying, quote, The crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away, but with blood, end quote, almost foreseeing the future there. Brown's raid, trial, and execution energised both the abolitionists in the North and the pro-slavers in the South, and spurned on a flurry of political organisation. This effectively polarised the nation even further, solidifying the anti-slavery thinking in the North, and then creating a reinforcement of the strong Southern sentiment for secession as well, ultimately leading to war. It's during the war that we come back to our main focus of today's episode as well. Harriet Tubman became an integral part of the Union machine in their attempt to win the Civil War. With her yeah, extensive knowledge of the Underground Railroad, she was very familiar with the towns and transportation routes throughout the South. This was important, obviously, to the Union military and commanders during the Civil War. During those years, she operated as a Union spy and scout, often transforming herself to look like an aging woman. She would wander through the streets of Confederate-controlled cities and towns, learning what she could from the slave population. This would be about Confederate troop placements and supply lines, so that she could give the edge to her commanders. With this information as well, she also used it to help many of the individuals that she was working with find food, shelter, and even jobs in the North. Her emancipation efforts never really stopped throughout this. She also gained a very good reputation among her fellows as a respected guerrilla operative. With her knowledge of the land and areas where people may not expect her, this would obviously be very useful. And if, on top of everything else, that isn't enough, she also was a nurse, dispensing herbal remedies to both black and white soldiers dying from infection and disease. A multi-skilled, multi-talented, and driven woman for whom anyone who wants to do any good in the world should be able to look up to and admire. After the war, Tubman raised funds to aid fellow freedmen and women. It seemed, however, that slavery now was not the only thing on her mind. She also pursued and supported the quest for women's suffrage, 
joining Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony in their efforts. She cared for her aging parents and worked with Sarah Bradford, a writer, on her autobiography as a potential source of income. She married the Union soldier Nelson Davies, who was also born into slavery, and ended up residing in Auburn, New York, caring for the elderly at her home. She adopted a daughter in 1874, and and this sounds crazy, but even after all of her work, she didn't actually have a military pension. So, after an extensive campaign trying to get one, she was finally awarded $8 per month in 1895 as Davis's widow when he died in 1888, and then $20 in 1899 for her service. In 1896, a few years before that, she established the Harriet Tubman Home for the Aged on land near her home. She died in 1913 and was buried with military honours at Fort Hill Cemetery in Auburn, New York. What not only is an incredibly interesting life, but what an impact one person can have. And it shows the brilliance that can be achieved through collaboration. Coming together, trying to rip down walls that have been put in society and place, and using our human connection for the betterment of everyone. Harriet Tubman is a hero. And the things that she did for her people and her nation should never be forgotten. And I'm, I kind of feel a bit embarrassed that after 30 years on this planet, I have only now just learned about her story. But I'm so happy to be able to spread to you what her message was. I feel like we can all take a bit of um, inspiration, maybe, or motivation from this tale. And I want to thank you for tuning in today to listen to my tale about Harriet Tubman. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please consider either subscribing to the channel, leaving a comment, or sharing it with your friends and family. Everything you do to support me is really helpful to help the channel grow. If you want to financially support me as well, I actually have a Patreon. The URL is www.patreon.com forward slash the toasted tale that's with no spaces and i will put a link to that in the description below any support financially or otherwise would be so grateful so if you're considering doing that then thank you very much i look forward to speaking to you all again soon and we can together discover new and interesting stories about the world we live in. I will catch you next week for another toasted tale by the fireside.